I was needing working capital. And all of a sudden, I'm currently sitting here diluted down to 5 or 10, 15% of my company. Um, so I feel very fortunate I was able to hold on for as long as I did. But it was the best decision I made for the maturity of premium service brands, for the able to scale the way we have scaled and will continue to scale over the years. It was an amazing decision. If you find the right group, highly recommend anybody doing it. Welcome to the Leaders of Tomorrow podcast. My name is Chris Thompson, your host of the show and the head coach of the Student Works Management Program. This is a show dedicated to young and ambitious entrepreneurs and ultimately the leaders of tomorrow. Each week, we will bring you an inspiring interview or message to help you create the future you know you deserve. Let's get started. Hey, leaders, I've got a uh, fantastic, amazing entrepreneur rejoining us on the Leaders of Tomorrow today. So what we're going to do is we're going to play the Leaders of Tomorrow, this recent follow-up to Paul Flick joining us in the fall of 2020. So Paul went from a $100 million business to two and a bit years later, $400 million with a goal of becoming a billion-dollar business in the next five years before he's 60. And really, really exciting the things that he put into place over the last two years, the the energy and focus that he has moving forward. Um, I just know you're going to love what he's up to. And uh, yeah, just really, really excited to, to hear about Paul's progress. So you know why we do all this is we're looking for young Paul Flick at the University of Windsor decades ago. And, and so uh, if you know of any young, you know, committed, focused leaders that want to become part of an incredible leadership program, please send them my way, cthompson at studentworks.com send them to our website or send them this, uh, this podcast. Thanks so much. Have a super fantastic day. Paul, welcome back to the Leaders of Tomorrow podcast. So excited to have you. Oh, thanks, Chris. It's great to be back and it's good to see you again. Absolutely. Absolutely. So Paul and I were just catching up in advance of the podcast. Paul, Paul uh, was on our podcast in the fall of 2020. And I just saw all the progress that premium brands was was having and and just and and so what we wanted to do was just just talk about that that progress and and the types of things that we're doing so why don't we take us back to you were a hundred million dollar business and as i wrote down you had your painting brand your garage door brand your maid brand and your kitchen wise brand at that time that's correct. Yeah. So it was uh, it was still a great, busy operation and a lot of challenges, but uh, we definitely have grown since then. Absolutely. And so so just thinking about, you know, what is your thinking about getting all these multiple brands and adding these brands? What's what's the thinking behind that, Paul? Yeah, I, I mean, our target, much like you, Chris, is that single family homeowner that is you know, busy that doesn't want to spend their weekends doing projects around the house, whether it's replacing the garage door, painting, handyman work, closet, kitchen reorganization. So we want to be their end user. And our thing is, is we have nine different services today that focus on that uh, end user. So if we're able to provide a service, for instance, to you, you're happy with the service, we've instilled the trust that you have with our, our, say, painting service, we're able to cross-market the other services we have in that area and be able to create lead generation for our, for our franchise partners 
uh, to leverage with no customer acquisition cost. Um, so we're very focused on the end user and then being able to leverage that with the other services that we have under premium service brands. So, so since you've started doing this, how successful has the that that gone the the cross marketing the owning the full client experience been? Mm-hmm. It's been amazing. We actually created our own platform, uh, which was initially called Home One H O M E dot O N E. Uh, trademark reasons, we had to switch it over to My Nesto. Okay, but it is. Any customer that's requested an estimate, any customer that has a job ongoing or a past customer, we have in that database. And based on how many multiple services or multiple franchise partners we have in that area, we're continuously cross-marketing to that database uh, to create leads for our other uh, franchise partners. And is that something that you handle as a, as, as a team at your head office, that cross-marketing skill set, et cetera? We do. Our marketing team is the one who you know, created the platform and continue to, uh, it's got its own app and, uh, uh, but that's the marketing team's responsibility to make the phone. Fantastic. And I know, I know this is something that I know, uh, you know, uh, as you know, our, a lot of our leaders have really, really big goals and, and mindsets and think, thinking what's possible, just like you back at the University of Windsor. And so <laughs> one of the things that you've done is engage with private equity in 2021. So maybe you could just share again, what you can share about what that process has been like and what they've brought to the table and what, what's, what's kind of been created with their help. Yeah, you know, uh, private equity definitely comes with its pros and cons like any th- thing in life. And I always was reluctant to engage in in the private equity. But there was this one group um, and through a friend of a friend uh, was introduced to Susquehanna Private Capital. And I was reluctant to take a meeting and eventually did. And we, we just clicked. And they're a special group for a couple of different reasons. Number one is they don't need to take a controlling interest in the company. Yeah. So I sold them off 20% of premium service brands. So I still retain 80% uh, of the company. Uh, but the second thing is, is they're still founder led. So they really get the mindset of a founder like yourself and myself. And it's like, hey, find great companies, great people, invest in them and keep out of their way, you know. And if they need help, you're there to support them and provide tools. And it's, they've been just an amazing group of people. So it's, it was an exciting time to bring on private equity and to bring on this group uh, specifically. So, well, that's no, that's, that's awesome because basically what it provides is a whole chunk of capital that you can go and invest in your business. And so, so since the fall of 2020, maybe you could share what's happened with that access to private equity and, and some of the other strategies that you've used? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so th- it allowed us really to, I, I always say this for no better word, to grow up, you know, to put a lot of more processes and systems and, and support in place for our existing brands. But it also allowed us to uh, set up a significant you know, acquisition line of credit to go out and uh, access deals. So we've uh, we've done uh, four different acquisitions since we last spoke. One was very significant, Ruderman. Right. But we've added House Doctor, which is um, handyman and renovation. Uh, We did Grout Medic, which is grout tile uh, floors, bathroom enclosures. 
Uh, we did Andy on call, which we which we folded into House Doctor, and then Ruderman. Ruderman was uh, by location was our biggest, uh, and by system wide sales, our biggest acquisition. And it really sort of gave us a lot of depth into my Nesto or home one that we talked about because of, they've been in business for over 50 years. Their customer base, their footprint in North America is significant. So it, it, the acquisitions and the partnering with private capital has allowed us to really scale much quicker, put in better training, better support, but then allowed us to go out and acquire these companies and bring them onto our platform. So it's really accelerated my vision of where premium service brands is today. Right, literally four times. So unbelievable, four, four times. times growth. Like, wow, what a couple of years. So, but I know a big part of it was, as you were mentioning, the opportunity to to acquire Ruderman, and 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 there's a really interesting backstory around that. So, so maybe you could share 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 the marketing efforts of of what that looked like. It's going I'm going back in time, Chris. Uh, so after we finalized our partnership with uh, Susquehanna Private Capital, I was looking for ways to get in front of acquisitions and, you know, LinkedIn and email marketing, getting hit up all the time. Would I sell the company? Would I sell one of the franchises? I got to differentiate myself. So I did handwritten uh, letters to founders or CEOs of franchisors in the home service industry. And I think it went out to like 11, 1200 different executives. And um, I got a call. Uh, that's how we actually did the house doctor acquisition. But uh, one, I got a call from a gentleman by the name of Donald McDonald. He was up in uh, the Massachusetts area. And he was the founder uh, and president of Ruderman, which he started 51, 52, 53 years ago. And he was obviously looking for an exit uh, based on his age and other things that he wanted to get accomplished. And uh, he had talked to a lot of private equities and just felt that premium service brands was the right partner for him. And he made it so attractive, Chris. And it was really refreshing to see that here's somebody that was more concerned about his employees and his franchise partners versus taking what he really should have gotten for the company. So he was very, very fair to me. It was great getting to know him as a person, his character and integrity. But that really has catapulted us into, you know, growing four times and has, you know, now over 1,100, 1,200 locations throughout North America. Which then you can cross market, cross sell in the future when people are approaching premium service. Well, look, here are all the customers we have. We have these, all these brands, but obviously Ruderman is an enormous brand that, that you know, really assists you and your your goals to serve, again, your, your franchisees moving for, forward. Exactly, Chris. It has really accelerated the vision. It has given our franchise partners opportunities, you know, to take on other brands, but really leverage that home one where we're cross-selling to uh, the end user. So I uh, feel very fortunate. Donald McDonald came into my life and, uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, really excited about where we are as a company as well. We've got a lot of acquisitions in the pipeline right now and we'll continue to grow. Yeah. It, you know, the other thing as well is, is, is for our, for our leaders, it's, it's like, you know, number one, it's kind of old school, right? That's old school. It's, it's, it's how do we reach someone again over a coffee, over a meal? Like how do we, you know, connect with people? But the real thing as well, as I always love to say, it's not, you know, people people tell you, you know, it's not who you know, Paul. It, sorry, it's not what you know, it's who you know. 
And I always like to say no. Yes. And also it's who you know that thinks highly of you. So the fact that you've been at this so long and developing a brand and developing a word on the street, this is who Paul is, this is who premium is, that was obviously really, really impactful, you know, and it really just speaks to all the things we do that really go into really matter. Yeah. And it goes back to the student painter days, you know, it's (laughs) like the, you know, we didn't have the internet then, but so we were knocking on doors and we were getting in front of, you know, people and, and that's really what I did to 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 get in front of house doctors and Ruderman was to think, you know, what could have worked way back when. And, you know, I, I can't get on a, a, a plane every day and go and knock on somebody's door in a different state, but I can get them something that they wouldn't have traditionally got. And that was a letter. So it, I feel very fortunate. And, um, well, you know. Uh, now that I've let my secret out in terms of how I'm getting in front of these acquisitions. Oh, <laughs> but you know, Paul, I've heard it before and I know it. And again, it's just in the end, that's what you're doing. And also as well, you know, it, you, you can really, uh, Paul is actually an introvert. I'm not sure if that showed up in our last call, but I remember you t- in our podcast. But but again, the stuff that Paul's doing in this area of the business, when he's reaching out, it's not something he's comfortable with. And it's something he knows he needs to do it. He's obviously very good at it, right? Meaning you are very, you have really strong interpersonal skills, but it's like, okay, I'm just going to go do this because this is the next thing my business needs. Would that be accurate to say? No, absolutely. I mean, nobody's going to do it for you. So you've got to be able to come out of your comfort zone and be able to do the things that need to move the needle. And uh, just sitting back with my door closed in my office isn't going to move the needle. Absolutely. So uh, yes, you got to put yourself out there. Yeah. And then and then tell me more. Like I, I've always been excited. The idea of, of private equity, just just because of the resources or the knowledge, like one of the things I've always felt like in our space as quote unquote founders, we just know so much. And then, you know, that's one of the reasons why I love to network and learn from other people. But what what have they given you? What sort of new knowledge or ways of thinking have they have they provide for you, Paul? Yeah, they, they, they are a massive entity. I think last I checked, it could be off a little bit, but they're about a $27 billion uh, firm. Uh, the resources they have from recruiting the right people, whether it's financial or marketing, um, the bank relationships they have to set up, the structure and examples they can lead by. It's incredible what they have in place and the tools that we can tap into that would take us literally years or maybe never to ever create on our own. They're, they're willing to, or willing to share what they built over the decades. So yeah, they have definitely been a, positive impact and an accelerator of our growth. And again, they, they stay out of our way. They're wonderful to deal with. Um, and I think a lot of, large part of that is it's founder led. Yeah. Well, the other thing as well is, is just, again, kind of, it's it's hard, I think, for people to think so often people think, oh, I want to keep 100% of my company. I want to keep 100% of my company. And by the sounds of it, this 20% of your company that you sold it, is just going to make such a massive difference to how 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 large, how successful the impact your, your company can have. And not saying that that's always the right thing for people to do. But but again, it's some, sometimes people just think so 
you know, or not as small, you know, like it's like, look, having these resources, paying these resources are going to make such a difference. Yeah. And I, I think for me, I was very fortunate in that I didn't have to sell off the company at an early stage where I was needing working capital. And all of a sudden I'm currently sitting here diluted down to five or 10, 15% of my company. Exactly. Um, so I feel very fortunate. I was able to hold on for as long as I did. But it was the best decision I made, Chris, for the maturity of premium service brands, for the able to scale the way we have scaled and will continue to scale over the years. It was an amazing decision. If you find the right group, highly recommend anybody doing it. Well, that's fantastic. And and maybe uh, we, we already know what you think about uh, a leader of tomorrow, but what about what do you see happening for 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 yourself and premium over the next three to five years? What are you hoping to accomplish? Well, I'm chasing your age. You know, <laughs> I'm not that far behind. <laughs> so I, I think for me, I've got a lot of passion for the business still. I'm 54. I plan to run hard probably for about another five, six years, Chris. Uh, my goal is to get it to one billion in system-wide revenue. And then at some point, be able to step back and whether it is Susquehanna stepping in and buying more of the company, whether there's you know um, an existing management team that is already here that wants to step up, but you know uh, as you have and I will, I'll continue to give thought to that as I get closer uh, to an exit. Yeah, it is a transition because both of us are really wired, lots of energy, want to spend things, you know, want to be excited about what we do. So, so certainly my intention is never to sell. And and again, I've got a you know clear clear pathway in that that regard. But but it's it's how can I what sort of structure sets up well, right? So that you're meeting your needs, you're meeting your you know the the, the financial needs, the you know support for the family long term. But uh, but it's great to sort of be be out there thinking about it and planning it, and uh, just so excited that you gave us a half hour this morning, mostly just catching up you and me, but also for the podcast and uh, continued success, Paul. Thanks, Chris. Really enjoyed it and uh, look forward to talking in the near future. You betcha. Hey, leaders. I hope you are enjoying this podcast. As we approach and surpass 300 episodes, well over 95% of the leaders that we have interviewed have been alumni of the Student Works Management Program. It has been an honor to participate in their development over the years. Starting now, and only for the fall months, we will be on campus at universities and colleges in Ontario, Quebec, and the East Coast, interviewing students who think they have what it takes to start their first business and get started down the path of entrepreneurship. If you are interested in being a leader in our program or know someone who does, please go to the show notes and hit Student Works and get sent to a landing page to apply. There is a bold student works that you can hit to go to a landing page to apply. Thanks so much. Back to the show. Okay, so Paul, super excited to have you here on the Leaders of Tomorrow podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for reaching out and great reconnecting, Chris. Thanks uh, for having me. It really has been. No, one of the cool things about about doing this podcast is I get to reach out and I know really what what created it was 
was seeing your brand and all the different things that you've done and the growth and the development of your business. And um, and I, I just saw it on LinkedIn. I'm going, let's reach out to Paul. So it's really been awesome yeah. reconnecting. And then what's great is I really know a little bit, but I don't know as much. And I know we're going to discover more and more of that about that. So uh so you know, for our Sounds for good. our leaders, for our leaders, um, you know, Paul was an outstanding uh operator and district manager and really, really um, you know, crushed it back in the day with our organization. And um, so tell us what you were like before our program. Before that's going back a few decades. Exactly. Well, I mean, by nature, I'm a very introvert. I'm an introvert as a person. I, I'm I'm not. So before the program, quiet, uh, sort of stuck to myself. I played a lot of hockey. But yeah, no, it's just uh, very much an introvert prior to the program. And any sort of frustrations that you had about life in high school before you went to the University of Windsor, anything like that popping up for you? Uh, I mean, frustrations are probably what every teenager goes through, but just finding my way, you know, not a, yeah. trying to figure out where I fit and, you know, what my skills were. And so just being able to, you know, understand that and address those and, you know, move forward. Okay. Because it's really great. One of the things that we do now in our program is we profile people. So we tell people and we, we show people who they are because sometimes they're really not that clear. I, I wasn't. I thought everyone mm-hmm. was like me. which is so crazy of course but anyhow and by the way you don't show up like an introvert so obviously you develop skills and um you know so what was that transition like being able to you know just you know mask or 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 be more extroverted in areas when you needed to yeah i think that started when i got a part-time job at sears Mm -hmm. and i was working in the home improvement department and toy department and you know having to be able to work with customers that have come in uh, was probably my first, you know, being forcing myself to be uh, an extrovert at times yeah. when I needed to be. But when I got into the program, I mean, it was me, you know, 24-7, you know, running yeah. your own business. And, you know, what I put into that day was what I was going to get back out of it. So I knew I had to push myself and to be the extrovert and to deal with customers and to be able to manage employees. And that's what really brought me out of my shell uh, was the student program and really gave me a lot of tools that I use today in business. So, no, it was fantastic. So what do you still rely on from the program, Paul? Wow, lots of different things. I, I think number one is working with people in dealing with people, you know, uh, conflict management is a big thing when dealing with the customers that I did back in the program, you know, conflict management with employees. Mm-hmm. I don't think anybody likes conflict. Yes. So when, when it's there and you don't address it, it just festers and it becomes a bigger issue and it takes up more of your mental space. So for me, it was, you know, don't just let those slide. I've got to address those issues and uh, head on. So that though, that part of the business was was amazing. You know, being the head of or le- being a leader, you know, whether it was in the, the the management program or whether it's today, is you've got to put yourself out there. You know, mm-hmm. and you are the face of the company. Whether it was yeah. summer in Sarnia or the second summer in Windsor. But I'm selling myself, you know, and I'm leading by example. And so the leadership, the conflict management are probably the two biggest things that I I still have with me today. 
Awesome. Awesome. And um, so why don't we go back and sort of talk about your career progress? Because one of the, the things our leaders always want to know is, wow, like, you know, you're where a whole bunch of people want to be, you know, running a hundred million dollar franchise organization, like, wow, like what a mm-hmm. huge success. How do I get there? And, and it's not a straight line as we'll find out (laughs) (laughs) a couple of years. (laughs) Exactly. Just a couple of years. Exactly. Exactly. Just Just scaled it real fast. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, after, after, you know, student works, what, what, what did you do? What were you thinking, et cetera? So uh, I I had the two summers as being a, you know, I, I don't know what you call them today, but a franchisee. Yes you know, an operator. Uh, so I did that my first summer in Windsor, which is where I went to school. And then my second summer was in Sarnia. And then right place at the right time with you, I was able to go to Michigan and open up the Michigan, Indiana and Ohio division of the company. Right. And for a year and a half, that was great because that was building from nothing. So I yeah. love that exposure of taking, you know, absolutely nothing there. And, you know, I had to create the relationships on campus. I had to sell the position to the students and then supporting them and building that infrastructure. So that for that year and a half was invaluable. But during those times, I saw my friends with corporate cars and corporate accounts and cell phones and credit cards. And I thought, what the hell am I missing? You know, I better go get that corporate experience. So went back to Ontario uh, and joined Coca-Cola. Okay. And probably within six months, Chris, I knew exactly what I needed to be doing. And that was building a business plan to petition the U.S. government to start my own business. Okay. Spent the next four years at Coke, saving money, um, and then finally got our e-visas and uh, headed down to the U.S. and started my own business. I, I knew I wanted to have my own ability to set my schedule to set my destination in terms of financial return, building an asset. Uh, and that wasn't going to be with Coke. Coke was a great company, but there's that is very structured and that's not, I don't play well in, you know, in that type in, of structure. Sandbox. Yeah. yeah. So I wanted to create my own. Yeah. And many entrepreneurs don't. And so, so you discovered that obviously you had this really amazing entrepreneur experience. You're having really you know, in terms of Coca-Cola, it's an enormously fantastic organization. I know earlier on we had we had one of our amazing alumni who's really climbed really, really high within Coca-Cola. So obviously there's lots of amazing opportunities there. Oh yeah. So what did you get out of that experience? Because I'm sure I'm sure there are there are things that you really valued that you got out. Yeah, because for me, Coke was I, I was able to see the infrastructure, see that structure, see the process, you know, see all the things that they had in place over the decades that they've been in business. So for me, running my own student painting business and then going into a very entrepreneurial experience in Michigan, there was no structure there or very yes. little structure, right? Very little so structure. Going, yeah. going, doing a 180 and heading into Coca-Cola was like a totally different experience and one I still cherish, one yeah. I'm glad I'm not a part of still. Yes. But, you know, it, 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 it really allowed me to see the structure that had to be put in place for my future endeavor. But yeah, no, the structure in that company is crazy. It's marvelous. Yeah. And it is one of those things where, you know, the organization that Paul and I were in at the time, we were just running, 
like just running, right? Like that's really the experience of it. We were just driving growth, driving growth. And there was just so little structure. And we were just so oblivious to the fact there was so little structure. And in fact, yeah. in the, in the, in our, our business ended up regressing and then just stayed flat or my business stayed flat literally for a decade until we started putting in more systems, more structure. My partner came in, my who has business school um, skills and the CEO and uh -huh. CFO of the business and, and just all of a sudden the structure. And, and as we put more and more structure, that formality sets you free. It actually gives more freedom, less, less wasted time, less wasted energy. And what's really great, Paul, is that you saw it and then you obviously probably start building it into your business plan. Okay, this is what didn't work at Student Works, and I'm going to go put it in, I, I imagine. Yeah, for sure. But I mean, not not taking the, the the experience at Student Works was amazing without the, without the structure. We, yeah. Nobody was going to ever outwork you and I, Chris. No, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you, know, you know, there's a lot more people out there probably working smarter than Paul Flickens, but nobody was going to outwork us. And you're right. I mean, what I have found in my business today is the structure that I have around it, having in-house counsel and CFOs and a platform that we track and manage all of our KPIs on. I'm not working as hard, yes, but I'm working smarter. Yes. You know, I'm not, I'm not driving the business like I used to because I don't have to, because all these things are working for me. Yeah. So yeah, no, I was able to obviously see the structure in Coca-Cola and not that I was going to replicate it, but what I did no. identify was the importance of having that structure in place to properly track and manage your business. Absolutely. So tell me about, you know, the early years of, I guess it's 360 painting. So that's, that's what you decided mm -hmm. to go into full-time franchising. Yeah. Tell me about what that was like and, and, you know, and, and again, yeah. And then we can talk about the levels of success, et cetera. Sure. I mean, going into 360 painting, the, the only thing I knew was painting and franchising through you. Yeah. So I, I it was almost by default. Uh, I wasn't going to, you know, start a software or a soft drink company because I'm not going to compete against Coke. So what I did know was painting and franchising. And I felt, you know, taking that knowledge and down to the U.S. And understanding, you know, the estimating, the marketing process, the hiring, the managing, that was very comforting to me to know that I, I, I knew that business model. So going into it, you know, I, I put together the business plan. I put together some of the processes and the training manuals and, you know, figured, well, once it's built, they will come. Yeah. And, and, and it was a lot harder to sell franchises than I ever, ever anticipated. Because people had to take a leap of faith with me. I didn't have any proven yes. concept. Uh, all I knew was I did it in Canada and I'm going to replicate it here. So it ended up coming down here, putting you know the processes and the structure in place for a franchise partner to facilitate their success. But it was, it was difficult. And we had about 18 months of a great run. Uh, sold a bunch of franchises. And then in 2008, the wheels fell off of the economy down here and obviously up in Canada as well, it hurt. But uh, the financial fallout was significant. And that was a, a very, very challenging time for the company. Right. Getting through that and, and but learned a lot from it. 
but you know that those initial stages of, of 360 pain were very similar to what I did in Michigan and was a franchisee under this under the program with you. Right, right. And so so in terms of those, you know, initial initial franchisees, did you run a painting company at the same time or did did you stay 100% committed to franchising? Yeah, so what we did was we started in 2005, we started our own prototype painting company up in Alexandria, Virginia, and really tracked the marketing initiatives, put together at the same time the operation manual and the training program, and then the support. After about a year to 18 months, I hired a GM to take over the day-to-day operation of that single unit. And then as we were selling franchises, I was also both training them and supporting them. Uh, in the field. So yeah, it was just, I was became a franchisee again, and then I became a district manager again. And then it just was sort of a a regression of what I I had done during my university days. Absolutely. And so, so really, really, it's interesting, you know, in terms of timing. So 2005, and then 2008, that is really, really, you know, what you'd say bad timing, you know, and It just is what it is, right? Like, it you is. know, like it's one of those things where, where, you know, for our leaders, you can't manage it, you know, and our leaders right now are fundamentally being impacted by this global pandemic. It's going to impact, mm-hmm. you know, medium term, you know, short term economic opportunities in most industries and graduating into a, a market that's deflated uh, in most mm-hmm. industries. And that's tough. You know, just like for you, it mm-hmm. was tough. You got started and then, you know, like, what was it like trying to sell jobs in the middle of the, the, you know, the global financial crisis, you know, <laughs> you know, banks, oh banks, God. you know, seizing assets and and banks almost going out of business. What was, what was that like? Absolutely. The perfect storm for us. I mean, you have overinflated home values that that bubble bursted. So people that may have, may have had a, a million dollar home you know, with a $1.1 million mortgage on it, and all of a sudden wow. their value goes down to five, six, seven hundred thousand. Their their decision is maybe I just walk away. Like, how am I yeah. ever going to get above water here? Uh, banks were obviously foreclosing at record amounts. So from a consumer standpoint, nobody was going to invest money into their homes because they didn't know, A, if they were going to be able to stay in their home. And two, is they were so underwater any additional investment just made that proposition even worse. And, and it, it just seized up the whole liquidity in the U.S. So even people weren't buying franchises. Yes. So it was a perfect storm for us to, to get through. And, you know, it lasted a long time, Chris. It just, yeah. it wasn't a six month. I kind of equate it to what we're going through today for the restaurant and the tourism industry. Yeah. The COVID is not going to go away next week or next month or next year, yeah. you know, and they're, they've got a long road, just like we had in 2008, 9 and 10. So, but yeah, no, nobody was spending money. So nobody was, you know, investing in their business and, and selling something was very difficult at any margin level. So did your business retract then, Paul? Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Significantly. We, we lost probably 50% of our revenue, you know. As we headed into 2008, uh, by the time we ended 2008, we were about half of revenue. Wow. And, and so, yeah. so being half of revenue, um, it's really difficult to be profitable, right? It's really difficult <laughs> not to lose money, right? And so yes. all of a sudden, you're, yeah. you're, lo- you're losing money. 
and uh, you okay. know you're holding on by your teeth. And then also your assets outside uh, the business all of a sudden are dropping too, right? Your real estate, you know, property like everybody's real estate is dropping. So really yeah. stressful times. How would you keep your head? You know, I I, I li- we liquidated everything. Okay, I can even remember it getting so bad. I sold my car just to for food and to pay the utilities at, at the house. So then I just drove my bike to the office, you know. So for me as an as a very optimistic entrepreneur, much like you, yeah. I knew it was going to end. And you know, and every month that it would go by and it didn't end, I was just like, damn, you know, but it's going to end. And so I just kept my focus long term yeah. and uh rang up enormous amounts of debt. Yeah crazy debt to just keep the lights on and provide for those franchise partners that we did have uh, to get on the other side of it. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, thanks for being, you know, so authentic and sharing this story, just because I think a lot of times, you know, people see the success and they don't see what it took. It's like, Hey, selling your car so you can drive to your office on a bike, you know, and had you stayed at Coke, you would have been making six figures and, that's right. And I won't lie to you, Chris, there were some days I wish I was back there back then. <laughs> <laughs> so like, what did I do? And <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And we had just had our first child in uh, of January of 2008. Yeah. So, I mean, it was just a perfect storm for the family as well, but uh, yeah. What though those challenges the, that adversity has made me a better leader today and and, and have built a big better company for it. Yeah, no, for sure, for sure. And I, I I've had similar just real beatings or or challenges or or you know yeah just um, very very difficult times. And it's really easy again for somebody to look and think, oh wow, everything's great. You know, no, there are times where they haven't been, and so you know, the market starts to turn around, you know, why do you think you've been able to be successful and recruit strong business owners into your franchise? Like what's, what sets, 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 has set 360 painting apart? Well, the, what always drives the success is the individual franchise partner success, because any prospect is going to sure come into the office, look at our infrastructure, look at the systems, the software we have in place, but their, their biggest, takeoff is going to be talking to an existing franchise partner. And if those franchise partners that are out there that we continue to invest and make sure we facilitate their success, they're going to say good things that, you know, Paul and his team have lived up to their commitment. I'm happy with the decision I made and you should do the same thing. So, you know, for, for a franchise system like ours anyways in the U.S., it all gets down to validation of, of what the franchise partners are saying. Absolutely. Yeah. And we find the same thing. You know, it's like, you know, this year already, uh, Paul, we have 70 referrals. You know, we had over 60% of our operators return and then 70 referrals. And so, you know, again, we've got raving fans, you know, they're winning, they're, 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 you know, and again, our team are committed to them and love them. And so you're right. That is what makes a franchise or franchise like organization like us work. Right. And so, you know, and it's it's interesting as well, you know, Paul, like there's been a lot of painting companies, significant painting companies created over the last mm-hmm. couple of decades. And so to a certain extent as well, to me, it, it seems as well, like full-time franchise painting companies. To me, 
you saw an opportunity that was there and really have stepped into it, you know? And so well done, right? Like, it, yeah. you know, like it, it was kind of like, it's a sleepy industry. Like if, if we could do what the student painters are doing, well, why aren't, why weren't there full-time franchise organizations? And there really weren't many and now they're more. And obviously you guys right. are really significant, yeah. you know? So how do you see that, that choice? Or how do you see that was, was, was it a, did you see what was going to happen <laughs> or, you know, just like, you know, but the, the opportunity and now pretty soon there'll be a bunch of people or how do you see that Paul? Well, I, I, so first of all, I love the home service industry. And as I yeah. mentioned earlier, getting into it, the only thing I knew was painting and franchising. So that was comfort for me, but my vision was always to have multiple service brands okay. under the same umbrella servicing the same, same customer. So Anything like painting, it's a very fragmented, customer service deficient, technology deficient industry, but it's a massive industry as well with high margins. So any industry like that, I'm attracted to, you know, that Mm -hmm. I can go in and change a customer's experience and have a professional service done versus the guy that, you know, shows up covered in paint, beer breath, hasn't shaven, is running his, you know, painting business in the back pocket of his cell phone. Yeah, that's not, you know, customers demand more today than what the industry typically has. And uh, I can talk freely about it because I have a lot of respect for a company called Serta Pro Painters. And they are the world's largest painting company. And they do about $450 million in system-wide revenue. Mm-hmm. You know, down here, the, the the residential like commercial industry is about $60 billion. So, yeah. Chris, they're less than one half of 1% of market share. Wow. So there is such a massive opportunity that I saw in the industry and continues to see in the industry is that, you know, customers demand a better experience, better quality, and they don't want checking a truck showing up. You know, yeah. hopefully, let's say hopefully showing hopefully, up. Hopefully, and uh, hopefully on time. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And, you know, not buying the, the the cheapest paint at Home Depot or Lowe's. Yeah. So that, if we can provide that customer experience, the vision was, is how do I, you know, cross sell that with our other brand? And, and so I love the home service industry. And you could look at any part of the home service industry, whether it's plumbing, whether it's HVAC, whether it's garage doors, main service, it's very fragmented. But it's a massive industry. Like down here, it's just shy of half a trillion dollars a year wow. is the home service industry. So it's massive. And it's yeah. dominated by truck in a truck. Yeah. What's fascinating as well is, is that what I know to be true about you, Paul, is you're going to work your butt off, right? And you're going to really work hard to provide service to your franchisees, to the end consumer, right? Like that's mm-hmm. a given because that's what you learned here. Right. And then you go and take over time building systems, building talent yeah. in your organization. And then because as the business scaled, like what about that? Like as the business starts to scale, there's a tendency to do I take more money out and I know buy a nicer car or do I go hire a CFO or do, do I do I go upgrade my CRM? How did you look at those types of decisions as you uh, had to make them over the years? Yeah, I, I think it's probably a lot of it's come through maturity, Chris, because there were a lot of times I spent money on maybe a nicer car than I should have bought. And, uh, you know, instead of reinvesting back where it was appropriate. So th- those things that I've seen in my past is 
making those mistakes to buy a nicer car so your friends see in a nicer car versus, you know, hiring a CFO or putting a software system in place, really that car became very expensive because the mistakes that were made by not putting the right people and infrastructure in place really, you know, slowed growth, mistakes that cost money. So as I matured and learned from those mistakes, and that's the one thing I think about the program you run is there's not a classroom in any university in North America that's going to teach you the practical hands-on experience. And for me, I was a terrible student. I went to grade 14 in high school. I (laughs) did a victory lap at university. I mean, I was terrible. So for me, it's all about learning hands-on. So I made those mistakes, but, you know, and I'm very proud of where the company is today, but it could have been where it is today a lot sooner by reinvesting back into what needs to be reinvested in versus going on a trip, flying first class, buying a new car that I didn't need. So my, my advice is put the right, infrastructure in place first and then it will pay it back in in spades uh, years from now spades later yeah and it yeah. really is difficult choice it takes as you mentioned maturity and and uh um patience and um those things are hard to come by and again thanks for thanks for sharing so and i really love um what you're doing around Again, broadening your base over the last number of years and, and providing these other services. And, and so that, so that again, trying to own a customer fully to provide, mm-hmm. you know, garages or, or maids or, or these different types of services. Yeah. So are you starting to see an impact where, where your, your teams are working together, the different, the different services? Yeah, both at the local level and our team here in Charlottesville. Mm-hmm. We have an initiative which we call Home One. And it's Mm -hmm. all about owning the home and Mm -hmm. whatever service that is overlapping in a specific area where we have multiple franchise partners like Charlotte, North Carolina, where we have, you know, the made right 360 painting pro lift doors, you know, in real time, we can identify a new customer and the job being started. And then we're able to immediately cross sell a different service to them uh, through direct mail, direct email campaigns. Uh, we have our own in-house call center, so we do outbound calling, and we're able to drive free leads for our franchise partners, wow. uh, reducing their customer acquisition costs, uh, making them more profitable. But this is all incremental leveraging of our biggest asset, which is our customer base, our end user. Right. And our end user is the same across all of our brands. Right. And I guess the exciting thing for you know, your franchise partners is, is, wow, my experience here is just likely to keep getting better. Yeah. Right. So they, they're kind of in the same boat with Paul and they're actually encouraged to go and look for a franchisee in the market, you know, and again, not, you know, just in a, in a, in a win-win way. Hey, if somebody Mm -hmm. comes over and, and takes that made business, then we can work together and build more business together. Yeah, no, absolutely. They're attending home shows together, reducing their you know, home show entry fee cost in half. They're doing uh, direct mail pieces that are co-branded. So the more people we can get in a certain market, the more efficient they can become, the more productive they can come. And we can support that, you know, from a head office standpoint. So, you know, once a customer has a good experience, as you know, they're going to come back and they're not going to ask for another 
uh, estimate. So it's a much easier sales proposition if they have that good customer experience. Fantastic. And so one of the things um, we always love to sort of, you know, chat about is, is failures or mistakes. Are there anything that sort of, I know you've touched on a, on a, on a couple, anything that sort of stands out um, for mm-hmm. you that, you know, wish I'd maybe had done it differently again for our leaders here who want to be successful as a senior leader, either running their own business or in corporate Canada, us, et cetera. Yeah. You know, obviously sitting in Canada, working at Coca-Cola, putting together my business plan is much different when you have to start executing the business plan. And then all of a sudden, something's going to go wrong. You know, nothing Mm. is like a hockey stick in business. You know, you're going to have your challenges. You're going to fall down. I was so undercapitalized, Chris, going into the U.S. I wasn't even remotely properly capitalized. And that's my biggest mistake. Uh, And then when 2008 hit, it just, it made it 10 times worse. So no, under I was way undercapitalized. You know, I based on my business plan, I was perfectly capitalized, but the business plan never goes as planned. Yeah. So I, I was way undercapitalized. There were obviously people that uh, I couldn't pay, and it was just it, yeah. You whatever you think you need, I would maybe double it, and yeah. then you've yeah. got because once your time is spent focusing on cash flow, it's not focused on driving the business. Yes. You're looking just to put your finger in the in the dike and hopefully that it you know changes, but you've got to stay focused on the business and you can't do that if you're having uh, you know cash flow problems. Totally got it. No, I, well, and I think that's just again so wise and, and it certainly speaks speaks to some challenges we had early on in the business as well. Mm-hmm. And it's a difficult, uh it's a difficult uh spot, you know, to get properly capitalized, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Did you ever look at selling equity in your business? Yeah, I did. I, and I have at times, and then I paid them back. So I okay. look at that more as loans being taken out versus okay. actual equity. Right. Equity is precious. I mean, if you've got an outside investor who's putting money into your business, that's great in those first few years. But if you're the only one driving the business and that investor is just sitting back, you know, building equity in a, in a business, he didn't take a ton of risk in or hasn't, you know, felt the blood, sweat and tears of it every day. Yeah. Th- that doesn't work. I mean, you used to have partners, you know, and, and it's challenging having partners. Yeah. Uh, so I, I've been very reluctant to, to take on that. Yeah, no, and I totally get it, and and we're happy that you know my wife and I own this completely, and and it and it's and it there's just so much more alignment, yeah, and and can be a real real uh, concern. So you know, as you went from that university student to you know now a you know business owner, full time creator, create mm-hmm. you know value creator. What did you need to change about yourself, Paul? Oh, uh, again, I every day I've got to work on not being an extrovert. Okay, it is. Like going, presenting, whether it's to a discovery day where we have new franchise partners coming in and looking at the opportunity, whether it's my staff and leading them every day, I've got to still work on day to day getting out there because it's easy just to walk into my office, shut the door, do my thing and leave and go home. That's comfortable for me. So I've got to push myself so I'm not, you know, not that introvert and, you know, I've got to where it's not comfortable. So yeah, every day I've got to work on that. 
Awesome. Awesome. You know, what I love about that is we all have weaknesses. And so we Mm -hmm. all, your weaknesses won't go away. You'll need to continue to um, manage them. You know, for me, Paul, I'm a major optimist and that's a weakness at times, right? I can be too optimistic. And I know, you know, you've said you could suffer from that. I also am too nice and that's a problem. You know, it, it, mm-hmm. you can be too nice and it can impact your business and it can impact relationships. Yeah. And so, so for me, I, again, I need to continue to watch that, you know, so, it, so yeah. it's, it's not going to go away for Chris. It's not going to go away for Paul and for our leaders listening. It's not going to go away, you know, and the no. biggest thing we can do is shine a light on it, acknowledge it. And then, okay, let's, you know, how am I doing? Check in. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, absolutely. You've got to continue to push yourself and the, those challenges and everybody has them. Nobody's perfect. Yes. Don't just go away. You've got to, mm-hmm. for me anyways, I got to work on them every day. Right. And, you know, I, I like working on it. I, I can always be a better person. Yeah. No. It, yeah. And, and, and it's great as well to frame it in that way. Right. Like just, okay. Mm-hmm. Hey, I'm just, I want to keep growing. I want to keep, you know, doing better. And yeah. obviously, you know, as well, when you do get out of the office, you make a significant contribution, right? I'm sure you've had that feedback mm-hmm. for, right from your team members, et cetera. They go, Oh, we like to for see sure. ball here. Right. So it's, yeah. so it, you know, it, it, it you, you can tell it works. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. So what key habits would someone want to steal from you? What key habits do you have uh, that, that you've built up over the decades, Paul? I get up at 4 a.m. every day. And you too. From 4 to 6 is my my most productive time of the day. Nobody's up in the house. I would always make sure that you take time away, you know, for yourself. And sometimes it's, med- you know, just meditating. Sometimes it is working on a project with a clear mind. But from four to six, uh, before the kids come down, before the wife gets up, it is my time. And I would encourage everybody to do that. Uh, every day I do that. What a fantastic habit. Wow. So so just to back that up, what time are you going to bed so that that's possible? Yeah, typically around 10, you know, 1030, okay. somewhere around there. So you're, you're good with six hours sleep. So that's a, that's a, that's a nice, and you, and you don't look tired to me, Paul. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, five so. to six is sort of the sweet mark. Uh, anything is more it? than that is kind of wasted time. Okay. Okay. Well, that's, uh, that's awesome. And so do you have a meditation habit? Is that something you've built over the years or? Yeah, it, it, it is. And that's the first thing I do in the morning. And, uh, it's just to sort of yeah. put myself, you know, uh, on the right path for the day. And then I get my coffee and I start working on projects that, you know, um, and for me, I've, I've had an amazing team that I've been able to bring on board. So for me, it's all about where is the company, you know, a year from now, five years from now, 10 years yeah. from now, and really start working on that, whether it's acquisitions, whether it's a new platform, whether it's a vision, starting a nonprofit. So those are all the things that I get accomplished, you know, in my time. Yeah. Without the constant interruptions throughout the day. Right, right. Oh, that's that's really, really great. And I know just over the last number of years as well, I've started a meditation habit and it just, it really is powerful. You know, just mm-hmm. less things going on in my head on a constant basis because of the work yeah. that you do, you know, uh, you know, yeah. in the morning or at night. And even again, it's not long periods of time that you need to meditate for, you know, for our leaders no. listening. It's It's, you know, the goal's not the Dalai Lama for Paul and I. No, no, no. No, it is not. <laughs> no, I got too many things to get done. <laughs> That's exactly it. That's exactly it. So 
you know, um, when you think of a leader of tomorrow, what comes to mind? Wow. Somebody with a work ethic, uh, somebody that wants to take a chance. You know, this is the perfect time. Like when I was in university, I, I didn't look at it as I do today, but to take a risk in university is your perfect time. I mean, yeah. once you get out of university and there's family and kids involved, that's tough to take a risk then. Yes. You know, so I would encourage anybody in university to look at this program, hands down, yeah. better than any Harvard MBA. You know, it, it is going to give you real skill and you that you have the opportunity to take the risk today. You got lots of time, you know, ahead of yourself to be conservative, but take the risk now and get that hands-on experience. Yeah. Well, I so agree with you. Um, and, you know, for our leaders, obviously within outside the program, um, you know, it just makes sense to take, take the risk before you get used to having a nice car or get used to a quality of life and do your best to restrict that quality of life. Do your best to keep as much as possible living like a student. And, you know, again, wealth is actually money that you create, you know, minus the amount of money that you spend. So it's, it's always keeping that gap. And so when we're, when we're young, you can have things go sideways and you got a lot of time to, to catch up, you know, and, and mm-hmm. certainly both of us have had, have had serious sideways experiences of our life. And now, yeah. you know, we're, we're decades in and we're on the other side of it, which is great. And then it's yeah. just, you know, protect that base, protect that success, you know, and don't, you yeah. know, now is not the time that Paul and I would choose to take big risks, you know? Yeah. We'll continue no. to expand and grow and do things and build and, yeah. you know, and again, on the, on, on the contribute on the not-for-profit side or for, for us, we raise money with MS. So those are things that we, we can do. And again, from a solid base. You know, but uh, but it really is. It's tough. I, I'm always shocked when um, I see so many entrepreneurs who create businesses later. But a lot of times, I know it's actually it might be their second or third or fourth business. So a lot of times, those right. stats are a little little deceiving. You know, because you'll see yeah. fast growing businesses, and wow, gee, hold on, that that person's in their 40s or 50s. That's amazing. <laughs> well, hey, that's their fourth business or whatever. You know, right. so. <laughs> yeah, they got lots of capital to scale quickly. Yes. Yes. That too. That too. Yeah. So, well, Paul, I, you know, again, I appreciate uh, that you spending the time with our, our, our group today and even more so, you know, just for what you've, uh, and I've never known um, that, that you were an introvert um, because it's not how you show up ever for me. Um, and, and uh, you know, I'm just so appreciative of, of, of again, jumping on and making this contribution. So thank you so much. Well, thanks, Chris. I'm so appreciative you reached out and, uh, you know, great hearing all the success. You betcha. Well, we'll stay in touch for sure. So you got it. Okay. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks, Chris. Hey leaders. I hope you enjoyed this episode. By now you are aware that we work with ambitious students every single year to not only help them run their first successful business, but to further their development as a leader and give them an unfair advantage in the future over their counterparts. It's why starting now and only for the next few weeks, we'll be on campuses across Ontario, Quebec, and the East Coast, interviewing students who think they have what it takes to start their first business and get started down their path of entrepreneurship. 
If you think you have what it takes or know someone who might be interested, visit leaderspodcast.ca slash apply and start your application process today. Once again, it's leaderspodcast.ca slash apply. And I can't wait to see you on the other side.